Welcome to the Indian Ocean World Podcast. Welcome to the Indian Ocean World Podcast. My name is Philip Gooding, a postdoctoral fellow at the Indian Ocean World Centre, McGill University. In this podcast, I am joined by Mustafa Emery Dineida, a doctoral student and research assistant at Iowa State University. Mustafa achieved a master's in comparative studies in history and society at Koch University in 2019, and a bachelor's degree in history with a minor in sociology at Istanbul Bilgi University in 2017. Mustafa now works under the supervision of Professor Chris Lowe at Iowa State, and is collecting data for the Indian Ocean World Center's Appraising Risk Project, on whose website many of you will have found this podcast. Those of you who are familiar with the website and this podcast series may also know that Professor Chris Lowe also recorded a podcast with us in fall 2020. For new listeners, please check it out. If you find this podcast interesting, I know you'll find that one especially illuminating as well. Meanwhile, back to today's podcast. Mustafa is a specialist historian of the Ottoman Empire, the modern Middle East, and the Indian Ocean. His principal research interests include the environmental and public health histories of cholera and plague epidemics in late Ottoman Iraq. He is interested in examining how epidemics and other natural disasters reshaped both Ottoman center-periphery relations and their broader impacts on international relations along the contested frontiers between Ottoman Iraq, Qajar Iran, and British India. In this podcast, he'll discuss with us a work in progress, an article entitled Contextualizing Environmental Contingencies, The Fall of Mamluk Baghdad. Mustafa, thank you very much for joining us. To start off, could you summarize your article? What are the key themes? What are your key arguments? In what ways do you contextualize environmental contingencies in the fall of Mamluk Baghdad in 1831? In my paper I'm going to discuss today with you, I focus on a series of natural disasters that struck Ottoman Baghdad between 1828 and 1831. Between these years, the city of Baghdad successively witnessed locust invasions, a plague epidemic, the flooding of the Tigris, and a military siege culminating in a famine. And a chief among the victims of these events was Dawud Pasha, the governor of Baghdad and leader of the local Mamluk dynasty. At the end of the process, marked by environmental catastrophes, the Pasha and his dynasty's rule came to an end. Indeed, one of my aims with this paper is to provide the story of these apocalyptic events that haven't taken enough attention in Ottoman or Arab historiography deserve. There are a few paragraphs here and there about the events of 1831, and they are mostly based on secondhand accounts written in Arabic but there is not even an account providing a detailed story of what happened this year. In contrast, I mainly delve into official correspondences circulating between local agents and the Ottoman center. Because when you look at the Ottoman documents, you can see the broader picture, not only the events of 1831, but also its context, like what was going on in, especially in the 1820s in the Ottoman empire in general. Second, I aim to understand why the Mamluks rule in Baghdad, which continued more than a century, came to an end and what was the role of environmental disasters in this collapse. For this, I think we need a temporal analysis of imperial politics 
and institutions in the first decades of the 19th century, which also intermined with Daud Pasha's career in, the, in Ottoman Baghdad, which was from 1817 to 1831. Actually, the Ottoman Empire was undertaking a huge transformation in this period. Century-old institutions, institutions and actors lost their predominance and gave life and bad battle with the newly emerging ones. In 1826, the Ottoman government abolished the Janissary institution, which was the backbone of the Ottoman military, and it was followed by the formation of a new army, Asakiri Mansuri Mohammediyah. The Ottoman government was also struggling with, to change the empire's financial policies to establish a more direct tax collection system. From the beginning of his reign, Sultan Mahmud II and his close statement pushed for a more centralized taxation system to replace the old tax farming method. And I believe we can say this was a huge threat against the authority of regional power holders like Dawood Pasha, who were tax farmers of the empire equipped with military, economic, and administrative authorities and acted as state agents in their districts. Rather than giving all credit to these huge imperial transformations in the 19th century or environmental disasters, which were actually important to understand the Mamluk dynasty's fall in Baghdad, I construct my paper on four layers. First, I attempt to understand the structural transformations in the empire that also resulted in a legitimacy crisis for some imperial agents like Dawood Pasha. The Ottoman center, was aiming to redefine its relationship with the local power holders, but Dawood Pasha also wanted to continue his relationship with the Ottoman center as Ali Aijoğlu uses the word, the partner of the empire. Therefore, the changing nature of the relationship between the Ottoman center and Dawood Pasha is one of the important components of this story. Secondly, I look at the increasing significance of the Indian Ocean world in the Iraq context especially after the Napoleon's invasion of Egypt in 1798, the British Empire started to see Iraq as a critical location for the safety of British India. The first British residency in Baghdad was established at that time. However, the interaction between Ottoman Iraq and British India intensified during Pasha's governorship. Probably the most important part of this interaction between Dawood Pasha and British India was the transfer of technology and expertise from British India to Iraq. Uh, we know that with the help of British consul in Baghdad, Dawood Pasha imported military and agricultural equipment from London, also recruited British officers to train his forces. Major Tyler, uh, British consul in Baghdad, by taking the support of Dawood Pasha also initiated a project aiming to open the Tigris into steamship traffic to connect London to British India. So we might say Iraq at that time, which is around 1820s, was between the two worlds. On the one hand, Istanbul, the Ottoman center, and the other hand, the Indian Ocean world, especially the British India. This gives us an overall picture of how Iraq was in these years but I think it's not sufficient to understand why the Mamluk dynasty governing Iraq for more than a century removed from power in 1831. Actually, based on, based on this background, I look at the contingent environmental disasters that happened in Iraq between 1828 and 
1828, the region witnessed locust invasions and region-wide drought and famine. Upon these disasters, Davut Pasha refused to pay his tribute to the Ottoman center. Actually, this act of Pasha started the tension between the Pasha and the Ottoman center. When Davut Pasha slaughtered the envoy appointed by the Ottoman center to remove the Pasha from his seat, he also started a war. However, in 1831, just before the army sent upon Davut Pasha had arrived, the plague epidemic and the flooding of the Tigris decimated Baghdad's population and also the Pasha's army. At the end of the, this process, the Pasha and Mamluks were removed from the Iraq region. Lastly, I give a closer look at Dawood Pasha's decisions, decision-making processes. I think sometimes we as environmental historians miss the point that human agents are the main actors of environmental history narratives too. The thing we much care about in environmental histories is their meanings to human beings. So in this paper, I ask how Dawood Pasha's connection to the two worlds, like the Ottoman center and the British India and his unsecured position in the Ottoman system did shape his decisions. How did he make sense of natural disasters that occurred in Baghdad? I believe the Pasha had options to choose different paths. Actually, in here, I do a bit counterfactual analysis. Why did he murder the envoy? Or why did he decide to not pay his tribute to the center? If he had paid the tribute or not murdered the envoy, natural disasters that constitute the main part of this story because of their role in Daud Pasha's fall might not be even like historical events, even events that we care. So I can say that to make bet a better sense of Dawood Pasha and the Mamluk's fall from power in Baghdad, I pursued a narrative consisting of the elements of sequence, contingency, and meaning, rather than um, relying on a monolithic narrative, either based on the binarizations of like modern colonial core versus less modern local, or a narrative which is environmentally deterministic. Yeah, this is the like brief summary of my paper and main arguments. Wonderful. Thank you, Mustafa. That's absolutely fascinating. Um, I'm really interested in how you came to your framework and to your core arguments. I'm focusing on your narrative consisting of elements of sequence, contingency uh, and meaning. Um, I suppose I, I find this quite fascinating, fascinating because I suppose this harkens back to an older form of writing history to a certain degree by focusing on um, Dao Pasha's decision-making processes, you are inserting almost a big man in history. And I suppose environmental history has been working against um, this pattern. Um, and of course, I well know that you are very well aware of environmental history and it's broadly trends. So I kind of wondered how did you end up forming this argument, what led you to this? Is there something in the sources uh, that you consulted specifically um, or more of, more of a general skepticism of our recent trends in environmental history? Actually, if you ask me, like I will define myself as an environmental historian and also it means that like in this paper, I don't also try to criticize environmental history but my aim, I can, I can say, especially in the Ottoman environmental history, historiography, I see a tendency to like create narratives 
like uh, putting the environment, environment, environment and nature into the center. Like if like there is an environmental disaster, it changed like everything, it changed the picture, etc. But I believe, yes, I also agree with the effects of environmental disasters or long-term environmental changes on the on historical changes, but I think we need to also look at the actors, the real actors of history. Like, of course, like nature, environment is like the one actor of our stories, but also there is an actor, like a human actor. Sometimes I believe by focusing too much on environment, we miss that like humans were also part, humans are also part of this story too. Actually, my aim is not to put one like against the other, but I am aiming to combine these two and create a narrative, like giving agency both human and non-human actors. So in, in this paper too, actually, I, I discussed Daoud Pasha's decisions are heavily affected by environmental crisis and environmental crisis are one of the main reasons of his fall, but without understanding his decisions, as I discussed, like if he didn't kill the envoy or if he paid the tribute, then these disasters will be the part of our story, but maybe it will be a very different story because probably then we will not be told, we, will, we wouldn't be talking about the, like talking about fall of Dawood Pasha, but maybe about another issues like drought, famine. But if we, under, if we want to understand the fall of Dawood Pasha, then we need to focus on his actions, the like structural atmosphere of the century and also environmental contingencies. Wonderful, thanks for that. So if we think about this, the, the environmental contingencies as well, in your paper, you describe the 1831 flood and pandemic as unprecedented. Um, what about them was exactly unprecedented? Because I also note that there were plague outbreaks in 1771 and 1800, um, flooding uh, in 1782, and there were locusts in 1794 to 95. Um, so yeah, what was about them? What 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 about the 1831 events were um, unprecedented, uh, and also um, how were they linked? How did um, are they two separate disasters that just so happened to happen at the same time? Or did one, I presumably floods, um, help to create the conditions to the other? Uh, I suppose there's continuing spread of bubonic plague. Yeah. You see, I, I found a very interesting story, another story, like just in the late 18th century, the governor of Baghdad, Suleiman Pasha, he also experienced a similar process like with Davud Pasha, he had a similar relationship with the Ottoman center. There was a like famine and also drought. And he asked the Ottoman government that if like, if it's possible to be forgiven for the taxes of Basra for three years, because Basra experienced a, a like a, a very like effective uh, drought and famine uh, at that time, but the center just said like, we need money because we have like, there's an ongoing war now and you need to send this money to the center. But Suleiman Pasha is different from Dawood Pasha. He didn't challenge the government and he sent the 
Iman, which is asked by the center, and he didn't experience uh, a similar fate with Davut Pasha. But of course, the context is different too. Like 19th century, as I said, there was a huge transformation in the empire too. Like the empire was trying to change its like direction, like be, especially the center aim, aimed to centralize its authority, especially on the provinces of the empire. But still like we have some similarities in these two stories. And again, like it was also an important issue. Like again, we see like in Basra, there was a famine and drought issues and an environmental crisis, but the result is very different. But in like in 1831, as you said, it's a bit, I think it's a bit different because you have a plague, but just after, I think after 15 days, you have also a flooding, but it's like an apocalypse, right? Because you just survive the plague and then the flooding comes. But again, like if you don't look at the, like the, history, like the decisions taken by Dawood Pasha or the structural transformations in the empire, again, as I said, it, it will be, a, uh, it wouldn't be enough to say like this environmental crisis wouldn't uh, direct you to say that because of this environmental crisis, the Pasha lost his power. To, if you like want to explain why the Mamluks fell from power, I think you need them. Um, you need to see the like bigger picture. Of course, um, but honing down on the floods, clearly Baghdad was um, susceptible to flooding. Yeah. Did were there what kind of infrastructure or protocols were in place to try and minimize their effects, and why did they fail uh, in eighteen thirty one? Yep, this is a really good question. Uh, Actually, they, like, if you look at the documents, you see, like, there were some uh, works, like, they built, like, uh, canals and also walls to prevent the, like, flooding. But probably the, like, we, we I think in 1831, we are talking about a, something unexpected, even in the standards of Baghdad. Like, it wasn't a usual flooding because when you look at the documents you see like especially the locals of the region they complain about that it's not possible for the region to like egg to be again prosperous in 20 years like Baghdad is like Baghdad was completely ruined actually after the plague and the flooding and also a military siege it took time to like make Baghdad again the center of actually eastern trade routes of the empire kind of building on this in the relationship between um floods and, and plague does did the floods um, limit movement did that put people in closer proximity perhaps um contributing further to the spread of um plague yep it's actually i also mentioned this in my paper too, but you, it's not something you can see in the documents. Like no one say that like there happened a, a flooding and that's why we stayed together and it helped the, uh, the uh, spread of the plague. But it's like, it's your inference as a, like, from a 
historian's point of view. I know you do make this influence from in, in, in your article as well. Um, what do you think, what, was there a knowledge of, within the community of Baghdad of um, how bubonic plague spread? And did they, did they possibly know, or to what do you attribute the, this um, absence in the archives? Why, why in the archives is there no mention of the fact that bubonic plague might be spreading more because of um, confinement due to flooding? I think they even they weren't sure about like what was they were experiencing because when you look at the documents you see that sometimes they define like plague as like cholera too because they even they are not sure about like they weren't sure about what were they experiencing like was it like plague that even in the Ottoman language you see like they define plague in like there are three or four words for referring to plague like Taun, Veba. And as I said, especially in the 19th century, you'll see also cholera. And I am even I'm not sure like Davut Pasha or the citizens of Bada, inhabitants of Badat were quite sure about what were they experiencing. They used the similar words to define the epidemics like Taun, Veba, especially these two words. Sure. And so was there any kind of social or perhaps even uh, religious kind of explanation for why these plagues were coming? What was the general belief of what brought these plagues? Mm -hmm. Now, when you look at the Ottoman historiography now, it's one of the, especially in the Ottoman environmental historiography, it's one of the bigger discussions that like there is a group discussing that like because of Islamic rules, it's not a good thing to leave from the city because of the plague, because it's, it's something coming from God and you can't escape from the plague. But there's also a group of historians, especially like these Islamic rules weren't the case in like Ottoman cities, because you see like some people just immigrated from the city to other parts of the region. And in my story too, like, Bada's population is, was estimated around uh, 8,000 people. And just before the plague, because of the rumors of the plague, people started to leave from the city. And, and according to sources, we see that like the amount, like the number of people who left the city was around like 30,000. It's a huge number. And presumably that contributes to it spread to into regional areas as well. But it's like if generally the ones that left the city, they were, I think I can say like they were wealthy compared to the like general population, like the especially the non-Muslims of the city stayed in their homes because there is a diary of a Protestant missionary missionary telling the story of what happened in like 1820, uh, 1831 in Baghdad. And he gives you, gives us the every detail about what was going on like day by day. And he also mentions about the, like how people like decided to leave the city. But of course we should read these sources carefully because it's like, I don't know, there can be some prejudices that's why 
we should be careful about such sources. Of course, that makes absolute sense. Um, well, thank you very much for discussing your article. I wondered if you could also just base this in, base it within your broader research. Obviously, you're, this is part of a wider project. Um, how do you come to this topic uh, and where do you see that it's going to take you in the future? Uh, and how does it relate to your broader research aims as a doctoral candidate? Oh, yeah, it's like, this is my second year in my PhD program. And actually I'm not still quite clear about my PhD research project yet, but uh, I can say I am interested in the stories of the Ottoman Arab provinces, especially the ones like closely connected to the Indian Ocean world, like Basra and Kuwait. I think the issue of in-betweenness that I also mentioned in my paper, like the Ottoman center on the one hand and the British India on the other seems very interesting to me because it's interesting to see how locals manipulated these two power sources to meet their ends, because there are two like centers and Iraq as a place or Basra, Kuwait, like the actors in these cities, you see they use the channels provided by these two centers. I found this interesting. Also, I have a special interest in the histories of disasters and also plague and cholera. Maybe something combining all of these yeah, will be my PhD project. Well, in that case, I very much look forward to hearing more about it. Um, and of course, um, we, I'm sure we will have further contact given our mutual work uh, with the IWC and the uh, Appraising Risk Project. Um, well, thank you very much, uh, Ms. Mustafa Emery Yunyada, for um, joining us today. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, thank you also to Rene Mandeville, who's been working in the background to um, produce this um, podcast. And thank you to you, the listener, for um, listening. Um, and we'll be with you again soon. Once again, my name is Philip Gooding, and you have been listening to the Indian Ocean World podcast. The Indian Ocean World podcast would like to acknowledge the generous support of the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada. This podcast series is part of the SSHRC-funded partnership project Appraising Risk Past and Present, interrogating historical data to enhance understanding of environmental crises in the Indian Ocean world.